Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all here today. And uh, yes, it is a little bit of a different day. That's one of the things you just never know what you're going to find here at Fresno Church. Um, but Riley, thank you so much for, for filling in like that. You know, actually, one of the greatest testimonies you can ever give a church leader is for them to miss and for it still to go on. So um, uh, I think, and, and I don't want to, Hunter's probably watching this. I don't want to get a big head, but, but it's a testimony to Hunter, our, our leader. For those of you who are guests, Hunter is a, a unique uh, part of our church, but he's our, our staff worship leader, and he has built a team of people that could, could take care of this. So uh, sometimes you see we have a full, we have keyboards and drums and the whole thing up here, and this Sunday, um, Hunter, trying to, trying to match where we're going with the sermon, decided to do a more of acoustic set. It was just going to be him and his wife. And so when Hunter was out, and um, Hunter's probably a big baby, so his wife had him stay home and take care of him too, you know. <laughs> Ladies, you know, right, when men get sick, you know, we're strong and everything until we get sick, all right. So, so uh, Riley got, the, got a word about an hour before service or so about, about he would have gotten earlier if he'd been awake, but, um, but you know, anyway. So just glad you guys could be here. Tracy, thank you for that testimony. That is just wonderful that's Tracy's first time on stage and I'm sitting there going when everybody's doing their first testimony I'm thinking do I need to get up there and rescue no you were fine it was great so thank you for sharing what God's been doing in your life I do appreciate that very much in fact I feel like man I feel like I ought to be like have somebody up come and replace me today for this this no amens please all right so appreciate you guys doing this Hey, we've been looking through for the last, uh, off and on for the, uh, since I've been here, with the book of Acts. And today we're going to continue looking at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. Now, um, normally when I preach, I, I try to do, I'll, I'll look on a, just a few verses. But this is one of the, uh, it's a, uh, the second or third time we've done this, that we're going to actually sort of do an overview of all of chapter 10. So we're going to go through the, the salient points of all of that, because there's something I want you to look at. It's sort of the meta-narrative of Acts chapter 10. So if you got your Bibles, you want to open it there, but we'll have a lot of the scripture on the, uh, on the screens today. But um, this, as I read this passage, it really seemed to me sort of a, a different kind of thing. So I've entitled this sermon, Doubling Down, a three-act play written and directed by the Holy Spirit. And that's sort of what it feels like to me, a three-act dramatic play there. So, uh, so if you'll think about it for a moment. So we're going to try to look at this like we've gone to Broadway for just a little bit, all right? So um, let's, set the, um, let's set the background first so you understand the background. The first Christians had experienced a whirlwind of change. I mean, all sorts of things going on. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, they got their assignment to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And there, their part was just gone to Samaria, and it's just starting to spread out to other places. And uh, they've had, you know, seen the Holy Spirit come in fullness. They've had this amazing growth. They've reached out to what's called the Hellenistic Jews. They've reached out to the Samaritans. There's this new people coming into the church all the time. Last week we even saw that they had this Ethiopian official who was a eunuch that had come and, and to Jerusalem, and he heard the gospel and accepted Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And one would think after all this change that the church could take a breather and uh, just adjust to everything and reorganize. But the Holy Spirit wasn't quite finished yet. So he had some changes to still come. So that's the background. Now the setting. We're going to see the setting takes place in two areas. First, the city of, uh, the, the city of um, Caesarea Maritima. And I've got a picture up here on the screen for you. 
uh, you can see there, Caesarea Maritima. Now, I, I, I use the full name there. It just says Caesarea there. There are a lot of Caesareas there because Caesarea is named after Caesar. So when people would build these cities, they would, uh, they would name it after Caesar. And uh, so there was Caesarea Philippi. You'll read about Jesus going there. That's in a different spot. But this is Caesarea Maritima. You think from the word maritime there, it's on the ocean there. Now let me tell you a little bit about this city. It was a very Roman city, even though it was a part of Judea there. You see, Jerusalem's way down at the bottom, but it's only a, a, a few dozen miles away from Jerusalem. Um, about, uh, I'm going to say maybe, maybe about 60 or 70 miles from Jerusalem is where it is. Now this city, as you understand, it, it was a very, very Roman city there in the middle of what they called the Promised Land. And it had been built by Herod the Great. And it was sort of, and he dedicated it to Caesar. So he built this seaport city and dedicated it to Caesar. The population was mainly Gentile, so it wasn't Jewish. So it was like, um, imagine, well, it'd be like the city. Anybody, anybody here have been to Sebastopol up in Northern California? It at one time was a Russian city. It was settled by, by, by Russians there. And so that it was very, very, or if you go to, to Solvang and you see the, the Dutch influence there and that kind of thing. Now, we don't see it now, but at that time, very, very Gentile city there, and it became the, it was the actual capital of the area of Judea, so it wasn't really Jerusalem. It was the capital there, and the Jews of that day viewed Caesarea, uh, Caesarea Maritima much in the same way a lot of you guys view Washington, D.C. It's like, yep, that's where those crazy politicians are. It's just not in step with what my part of the country is. And this just, or maybe Sacramento for some of you guys, all right, so pick your, pick your government you want to talk about. But they sort of viewed it as a different spot. It was not the, it was not the normal thing. It was, it, was a, it was an aberration there. So that's Caesarea Maritima, sort of considered enemy territory by many of the Jewish people. The other was the city of Joppa, a little bit further down, about 30 miles south of Caesarea Philippi, uh, Caesarea Maritima, sorry, even I said it there. And it was very much a Jewish city. It was the main seaport for Israel before the building of Caesarea. So there was some rivalry between those two because it had been like the main fishing and seaport area, and then they built Caesarea, and it, and it sort of, Joppa sort of lost some of its importance. Now, you may know, it's a very old city. In fact, if you look in the, in the, uh, in the Old Testament, you see in the book of Jonah, they talk about the city of Jaffa. That's Joppa right there. So where Jonah took his ship trying to sail to Tarshish and got swallowed by the whale and all that stuff, that's Joppa there. So it's a very, very old city. So that's our setting. And let's look at our characters. There's actually three characters in this play. First, you've got Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion of the Italian cohort. That meant it was native Italians. So it was there based in Caesarea, and it was basically where the people... Um, um, it, was, it was basically all these, all these soldiers from Italy that had come there. So that's the first guy. Simon Peter was the second. He was the, 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 the main apostle and early spokesperson of the church. And he's just experienced these major changes in his ministry with revival in, in Samaria and in the towns around Joppa. And then the third character we're going to see is the Holy Spirit, who's not only the writer and director, but does a, he's a, a surprise actor and not just a cameo. He plays a pretty big part. So before we get into that, to, to the play now, let's spend just a moment, let's talk to the executive producer, God the Father, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story we have in Acts. Father, thank you for what your Holy Spirit was doing in the church at this time. And Father, I just thank you for all the blessings that you have given 
um, our, uh, the, the early church here and the things that you've done for us, Father. Thank you so much for, um, for being a part of what we're doing here at the church. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we look at this, this opening act here, this, this play, I want to look at Act 1, what I call double vision. All right, so trying to keep that little double theme there. And it may not be clever, but I thought it was good when I was writing it. So, um, so Act 1, Scene 1, God and the Gentile. And this is in verses 1 through 8. So let's read these. Um, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision, in a vision, an angel of God who came and said to him, Cornelius. And staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? Now, Lord doesn't mean he, he knew it was God at that point. Lord just evolved for sir, mister, whatever at, the, at that time too. The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have, been, have ascended as a memorial offering to God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. And after explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. All right, so, guys, I know we're... Wow, the lights are, is there any way, can we do anything to dim? Because when I look up at you guys and I look down, I can't see anything but spots on my notes here. So I know we're actually our regular lighting guys out today too. So again, guests, sorry, we're just missing a lot of people today um, that, that normally are in leadership. So I'm trying to look at my notes here and having to readjust my, my vision here. All right, thank you so much, Ryan. I appreciate that. All right, so the opening scene is about Cornelius. Now, we don't know a lot about him, except that we do know he was definitely a Gentile. He's a centurion. That was the leader of 100 people. That's easy to remember because a century is 100 years. A centurion leaded 100 men. And it was the backbone of the Roman army. I mean, it's the, one, it's the people the Roman army relied on the most. Here's an interesting side note, too. In the New Testament, it never speaks badly about centurions, ever. It never talks bad about centurions. In fact, it actually praises centurions in a lot of, lot of spots. Uh, like I'll tell you, for example, in Luke 7, Jesus' first encounter with a Gentile is a centurion whose faith Jesus commends. And he says, boy, I haven't seen faith like this anywhere else in Israel. It was a centurion who's recorded as saying that Jesus was truly the Son of God in Matthew 27. And later on in, in Acts, we'll see that a centurion saved Paul's life more than once. So you can find it in Acts 21, in Acts 23, and in Acts 27. Each of those cases, a centurion saves Paul's life. So, interesting thing about that. Now, he was from the Italian cohort. These were men from Italy. They weren't local conscripts. They were probably free Roman citizens. Yet, Cornelius, leading this group of Gentiles, had come to appreciate the Jewish religion. He was what was known as a God-fearer. We talked about them last week. The Ethiopian unit was probably a God-fearer. A God-fearer was a Gentile that really appreciated Judaism, but wouldn't go all the way. In other words, we'll find later that, that, that it says later in the, in, the, in the Bible that Cornelius gave alms. He, he gave charitable acts to the people of the Jewish people. That was one of the steps of becoming Jewish. He worshipped, you know, God the Father. But the one thing he didn't do was get circumcised. And it's understandable. One, it's, it could be understandable why any adult male would not be interested in having that happen. But also for the, Jew, for the, for the Greek people, 
the, the Greco-Roman world, having your body marred like that was considered really a, a terrible thing to do. So because he wouldn't get circumcised, he could never become fully Jewish, but he became a God-fearer. So that's part of that. Now he's praying about three in the afternoon. That was a typical time for a Jewish person to pray. Has this vision of an angel who gives him explicit directions to send for Peter. Simon Peter, who's staying with another guy named Simon, who was a tanner, and his house is down by the sea. And so Cornelius, befitting a Roman uh, centurion, gets an order from God, right away responds. And we know that because the, t the time it was taking him to call his servants, get the preparation ready, and it was about probably a 10-hour walk down to Joppa. And so they got there about noon the next day, and that brings us into scene two. Scene two I call Jesus and the Jew. All right, so the next day, this is in verses 9 through 16. It says, the next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, said Peter, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. And again, a second time, the voice said to him, What God has made clean, do not call impure. And this happened three times, and then suddenly the object was taken into heaven. So now let's shift down to Joppa. And so here's, now the Bible, that's all the Bible tells us about that story, but let me sort of fill in some gaps from what I think probably happened. First, this guy, Simon, is uh, living by the sea, which would be a place for a tanner, a tanner of animal hides to live because they needed the seawater as a part of the tanning process. And Peter's staying with this guy. And it's getting to be about lunchtime. He gets hungry. And so uh, Peter's obviously not a cook. All right, he, we know he's a married man, so he didn't do any of that kind of stuff. But so he's getting hungry, but he decides, you know what, I'm going to go pray instead. And so he goes up to the flat roof of the house. Now, when I lived in Puerto Rico, we had all flat roofs, and we'd spend a lot of time up on the roof of the house. And so it was not uncommon for them to have a ladder or sometimes stairs built into the outside to get up onto the roof. And so Peter is there praying. Now, it, does, it says he fell into a trance. To be really honest, I think that's code word for Peter fell asleep while he's praying. So if that's ever happened to you, take heart. God can work with that, all right? So if you fall asleep on God, God's not sitting there going like, well, you must think I'm boring. No. I mean, I know some of you fall asleep during the sermons, and that's okay, too. But, um, but so Peter is praying, and he starts to drift off. And he sees this thing like a large sheet. Now, it says a, a vision, so it probably wasn't really happening. It wasn't something really happening, but a vision they saw. But that word for sheet is, like, is the same word that they use for a sail. So it could be that K Peter could see sails off in the distance on the water. Or it could be that there's a large awning-type sheet there as a sun shield to do that and so I'm thinking as Peter's falling asleep he's seeing the sheet flapping in the wind and in that vision God transforms that sheet into something coming down from heaven and in it are all these kinds of animals that are there and Peter's really hungry and God's working I mean Peter's blood sugar's crashing and he's trying to you know he's trying to stay stay alert there and um, uh, so the sheet lays down and has all these animals that Peter couldn't eat and Peter's probably thinking, Lord, why are you tempting me? I'm hungry. Why are you tempting me with animals that I can't eat? So Peter hears his voice telling him to eat. Now, it doesn't say for sure 
but I believe it's the voice of Jesus. And here's why. Because Peter never had trouble saying no to Jesus. It got him in trouble every time. But Peter has a track record over and over in the Bible of saying no to Jesus. When Jesus said, um, you know what, uh, uh, when they were at Caesarea Philippi and, and, and Jesus says, I'm going to give my life to everybody. And Peter goes, no, not on my watch. It's not going to happen. And that's when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Called him Satan at that point. And then another time, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, you're not washing my feet. And Peter had, Jesus had to teach Peter, Peter another lesson. And a little bit on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus says, all of you are going to fall away. And Peter goes, nope, not me, not going to happen. And so here there's a voice probably of Jesus saying, get up and eat. And Peter goes, nope, Lord, you're getting this wrong again. I don't even understand this. You're getting this wrong. I can't eat that. I've never eaten things like that. It's not going to happen. Now here's the funny thing. That in Mark chapter, um, where is it? Oh, gosh, i got to find it here in my notes. It's Mark chapter 7. Um, Peter's, uh, G- Peter is there when Jesus says, um, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of his mouth. Because what goes in doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. And then Mark even has this pre- parenthetical statement that says, when Jesus said that, he declared all foods clean. And Peter was probably there. In fact, most scholars believe where Mark got his information about Jesus was directly from Peter. So Peter even probably told Mark that to to write it down. And Peter's still not getting it here at this point. So Peter's saying, nope, not going to eat. It's not going to happen. And then Jesus three times says to Peter, if I call something clean, don't you dare call it unclean. Don't you do that. And says it three times in the Bible, three times is a way of saying it's super, super, super important. So, as we get to this, before we go to our next scene, let's get a little application for this. Both Cornelius and Peter were going through their day with what they would normally do. Cornelius was praying at the regular time of prayer. Peter was just going up to pray before, before lunch, just killing time before lunch. Just their regular day. But in both those cases, God broke through with an interruption for their day. And I want to encourage us, church, to, to make room for God to redirect our days, to redirect our plans, and even to redirect our opinions. You know, guys, both of those guys were praying. And I'll admit, sometimes, not always, but sometimes in my prayers, sometimes in my prayers, I'm sitting there telling God what I want, or I'm checking off the list of the prayer stuff. I, I got to pray for this church every day. Every day, I do mean that, and I have specific prayers I pray every day for this church. And, you know, sometimes I don't think I give enough time in my prayers for God to say, hold on, let me talk to you about that for a second. And I want to encourage us, especially those of you who have been a Christian for a long time like me, it's easy for us just to make prayer something we do that day. It's just a part of who we are, okay? Um, it might be like, you know, the same kind of habit you have for drinking a warm glass of milk before you go to bed or whatever your ritual is, all right? But when you're praying and during your day, make room for God to redirect things. Take time to listen. And sometimes God has a different plan like he did for Cornelius and he did for Peter. So people, let's not feel like we have it all figured out. Let's leave room for God to redirect some things as he did with Peter and with Cornelius. In fact, God was about to change Peter's opinion on a really, really important issue. So that's where we get to scene two, or act two. I call it double hospitality. 
Scene one, letting the Gentiles in. And this is in verses 17 to the first part of 23. In verse 17 says, while Peter was deeply perplexed about the vision, what it might mean, and I guess he was, right away the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, he's still trying to figure this out. What does this mean? The Spirit told him, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation was directly, divinely directed by a holy angel to call to you to his house and to hear a message from you. Then Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. Now let's go back to Peter. Peter has had to been told by God three times, what I declare clean, you don't declare unclean. But Peter was still in this mindset of going like, what does this mean? Now we look now going like, Peter, how can you not get this? But Peter was probably still thinking about food. He was hungry, remember? And he was probably sitting there going like, oh, does that mean I can have lobster now? I can have a cheeseburger? Okay, these you know, things that, so I know some of you, and you could probably never be Jewish because bacon cheeseburger would be off the list, okay? I'd be breaking two rules at one time right there, okay? Um, and so that would be, you know, that would be tough. And, I, you know, we won't get into that. But anyway, so, so Peter's probably still thinking about food. But then the Spirit tells him to go down and to let these people in. Peter's still trying to figure it out. Oh, one of the other things Peter could have been thinking was about this, that Peter was living with a tanner. And a tanner, would, because he dealt with dead animal hides, would almost always be ritually unclean. So probably for six days of the week, the tanner was considered ritually unclean by Jewish laws. But he would have to get cleaned up, you know, for, sun, for, for Saturday, for Sabbath worship and that kind of thing. And so Peter may have felt like, well, maybe God's telling me it's, it's okay I'm staying here with a tanner in this ritually unclean house. Because that's, you know, uh, it's what God's, what we've called unclean, God's going to call clean. But then God says, you know what? It's about people. It's about people. And this is the point where people, Peter begins to get it. Because as an observant Jew, if Gentiles had come to his house, Peter would have politely stepped, up, stepped outside the house and talked to him outside. And finding out they're from out of town, he would have kindly and nicely directed them to an inn or a Gentile home where they could spend the night because you certainly wouldn't be let into my house because you're not considered clean. But Peter got it. Peter said, hey, I'm the guy you're looking for. Come on in. You can spend the night. That would have been a freaky thing. A lot of Peter's friends would have looked at it and gone like, dude, you have gone to the dark side there. That is just wrong. What is, oh my gosh, we trusted you and now you're just... This is, oh, oh, wow. Next thing you're going to be having guitars in church and you're going to quit singing out of the hymnal. And man, it's just going, it's going to be weird now with this. All right. Some of you don't get that. Don't worry about it. All right. Consider yourself blessed if you don't understand that reference. Okay. So it's Peter took a step that would change Christianity forever. So Peter let those Gentiles in. Now let's look at scene two. I call this going into the Gentiles. So letting the Gentiles in 
now going out to go into a Gentile home. So we pick up at the, latter, at the end of verse 23. The next day he got up and set out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa. Now we're not going to look at that next week, but if you look in the next chapter, Peter's telling the story of what happened. And he says he took six guys with him, sort of as witnesses. So, so to say like, all right, I'm going to break some rules here. So I want to take some witnesses so they can testify about what's going on. So he took some brothers with him and said the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting him and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I myself am a man. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Peter said to him, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me, and here it is, Peter getting it, God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection. Of course, the Spirit had told him, no reservations, no complaints. So Peter's just doing what he was told. Without any objection, when I was sent for. So may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity, see, giving of alms, that's part of the Jewish tradition, uh, have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa, invite Simon here, who's also named Peter. He's lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So immediately I sent for you, and it was good for you to come. So now we are all, we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. So it wasn't bad enough that Peter let Gentiles into his house. Now he traveled 30 miles to go into a Gentile home. So many of his Christian, his Jewish friends would have gone, oh, the shame, Peter. We, oh, my goodness. Now, for the sake of time, we can't spend a long time at this scene. I'll just guess, hit some highlights here. So Peter admits that he just figured out that God didn't make people unclean and that he was taking this big step forward in coming to Cornelius. And for his part, Cornelius was so sure that Peter would come that he called together his family and friends to hear what Peter had to say. And think about it. It's not like Peter, could, or like the guys Cornelius sent, could pick up their cell phones and call Cornelius and say, hey, we're gonna, we'll be there about noon tomorrow. Okay? Peter was just trusting. He had sent him. It had been now two days since he sent his people away, and, but he still called them over going, I know this is happening. Peter's going to come here. He's going to tell us all about it. So I want you guys all to come and be a part of this. And then he says this, this is amazing. And I don't think there's a preacher in the world that hasn't preached on this verse right here. Verse 33. Now then we are all present here before God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. All right. Sometime this year we're going to call a new pastor. And you want to bless him? Come to church with the attitude of we are all gathered here together to hear what the Lord has to say okay and in, in fact invite family and friends and things like that too that's always a, a thing to do you all know people that could not care less about hearing me preach but they would be here if you invited them because you're their family member or friend so just want to encourage you to, to think that through that that's that's an important part here and there's a good example about it here in the book of Acts in chapter 10 so let's look at a couple of applications for this, for this little section right here. As we do our part for God's mission, 
what God is doing through us and in us, we must be willing to let people into our lives. Just like Peter invited men into Simon's home, we have to let people into our lives. Now, I'm not saying you have to let everybody knocks on your door, you have to invite them in and share the gospel with them. Nowadays, that just wouldn't be safe, okay? I just don't want to see that, that, you know, that happen. But it does mean we've got to make room for them in our lives. And guys, I'll, I'll, I'll admit another failure here real quick. Boy, this is the second failure I'm meeting to you guys at this point, okay? But um, that there are times, and I've caught myself, and I'm ashamed of this, but there are times that people have wanted to have a spiritual conversation with me, and my thought in my back of my mind was, oh, crud, I don't have time for this. And ladies and gentlemen, that's just wrong. Okay, God's convicted me of that. And uh, you know what? If I, I, I may have packed my day busy, and it's going to put me behind, but if somebody needs a spiritual word, needs to have a spiritual conversation at some point, there's not anything else more important I could be doing that day. There really isn't. You know, and that's, that's a hard thing. Like, you know, if, if I had stopped at, uh, at Panera Bread to get a cup of coffee this morning on the way into to church, and somebody wanted to have a conversation there, and I'm thinking, well, do I either, do I skip church and witness to them? No, I can't do that, you know, but, but I still got to make room to try, to try to have this conversation with this person somehow. And that's what Peter did, to maybe go, go the extra mile sometime and be willing to, um, to let people have space in your life somewhere. In fact, uh, Paul even wrote about that in 2 Corinthians 7.2. I didn't put it on the screens, but 2 Corinthians 7.2 says this, where Paul says, make room for us in your hearts. And let's be honest, people are messy. They really are. Okay? Every new person that comes in is just gonna, they're bringing their brokenness, they're bringing their hurts, they're bringing their hang-ups, you know, and we got to deal with it. And all of you brought your own hurts and hang-ups and messes, too. And we're all having to deal with that, too. And somebody else comes in like, we got to deal with theirs also? Yes, we do. It's just like in your house, okay? Man, when my kids turned to, were getting to be their teenage years, they got thinking about it and said, you know what? We want our kids hanging out here. It's messy. It's going to cause problems. We actually added a room under our house that had a glass door so we could look into the room, too. That sort of became their hangout room there. But you know what? When our kids' friends came over, it cost us money. Because teenagers can eat. They can. You know? It made messes. It caused problems. It redirected things, you know? There are times I couldn't sit down and watch the Giants game like I wanted to. Because teenagers are all there talking to me and that kind of thing. But it's the same way with church. We've got to be willing. Um, I served in a church that had carpeting down rather than the concrete like we did. And... Um, you know, it would, bum, it would bum some of the people when there would be coffee stains on the carpet. And um, I'd look at people and say, you know what? Every one of those coffee stains, and we'd try to get them clean and stuff, but you know, once you got coffee stains, it's not coming up at all. That's why most churches use brown carpet of some kind, all right? Uh, they used to use the red, but now that we started letting people bring in coffee to church, you know, it's Jeremy's got his right there. Uh, that does have a lid on it, does it? It's closed. Okay. All right. But uh, this is a deacon, all right? He should know better. All right. But um, don't let, boy, they laughed at that one. All right. But you know what? I looked at that and said every, every coffee stain there represents a person who came in here to worship Jesus. Every coffee stain represents maybe a guest. Well, to be honest, there was like two or three that were my coffee stains that didn't represent guests, but I didn't tell them that, all right? 
But think about that. That's going to happen all the time. And so churches have to be, have to be cognizant of that. That the more people I have, the more messes are going to be. And the more it's going to take your time. The more you've got to sit and listen to somebody and care and make room for them. Now, I know not, there's not one person in this church that can care for every person here. But for those of you who are regular parts of Fresno Church, there are a few people here that you can be the one that cares mainly about them and connects with them. And I want you to think about that. For those of you who are regular, now I guess I'm not talking about you guys at this point. Though ever, should you ever decide to come to join with us here, eventually this would be, would, would be you. Think about who are the two, three, four, maybe some of you. We're like, I like to think of us, we're all like, like Legos. Remember Legos, okay? Remember some of you probably still have wounds on your foot from stepping on your kids' Legos. But some Legos have places for two connectors. And some have places for four. And some have places for six or eight. So I don't know how many connector spaces you have available, but there are people at this church that you're going to be people to make room in your hearts for them. And that everybody who comes here should have three, four, five, six people that care about them, that are, that are focused on them, that are there to walk with them through things. And every new person that comes to our church needs that kind of connection too. And so I think that's something that Peter need to be looking at here is making room and letting people get messy. And Peter, a lot of people would consider him unclean for going to Cornelius' house. There are going to be some things you're going to need to do sometimes that other people look and say that makes you unclean. And that's okay. That, that is all right. I don't want us to do anything that ever offends anybody just for the sake of offending them. But you know what? Um, if I got in your car and it had a smell because you'd taken someone who was homeless and given them a ride and now it smells like whatever you know what to me that's that's just a, a mark of serving jesus right there and that's sort of a crude example but it's one you think you can all understand the, the subtle ones are harder to understand and i didn't mean to say anything rude about anybody i'm not saying all homeless people smelled or anything like that at all i was just trying to figure out an example that would that would make sense to you at that point it's just an example but being willing to get dirty for Jesus. That's what I'm telling you about doing. And then like Peter, sometimes we have to go out and meet them where they are. There are people in our lives that would not come to church yet, but we sometimes have to go with them and have a cup of coffee or sit with them when they're hurting or engage with them in a spiritual conversation whenever possible. And hopefully, if we do that enough, some of those spiritual conversations will turn into gospel conversations. And just like we're about to see with Peter, that they'll respond, we'll see with Cornelius, that they'll respond and accept Jesus as their Savior as well. That leads us into Acts chapter, uh, to, to that third act of Acts chapter 10. I call it no doubling back. All right, that was, that was, the, that was the roughest thing there with doubling, but sorry, I have to do it. It's, it's a, little bit of, uh, a little bit of OCD there, I guess, all right? So scene one, the sermon communicated, verses 30, uh, 34 to 43. Peter began to speak. Now, truly, now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him, him being God. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Now, Peter's starting to get it. The Jews had gotten to the feeling that God had made them the chosen people to hoard, to be like, come to us and we will teach you the way of God. No, God had chosen the Jews to be the vehicle through which the message would go out. 
said, you know, that the events that took, you know the events that took place throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did, both in the Judean country and in Jerusalem. Yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify, testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. Now, Peter, think about this. If you remember back to the map, they weren't that far from Jerusalem. You know, again, 60, I don't remember exactly how far. I, I looked it up, and I don't remember right now. But it said to them, you've heard what's going on. This has not been, this has not been something that's been hidden. You guys have heard about all the uproar that's been going on. You've heard these stories. Well, I'm telling you, I was there. I saw it. I'm giving you the firsthand announcement of what happened in Jerusalem. Now, none of us were there firsthand to see what happened in Jerusalem. But just like Tracy shared with us, Tracy shared a firsthand story of her encounter with Jesus. That's all that Peter did, his firsthand story of his encounter with Jesus. It'd be nice if it was. We were there, we could, we could see it, we could touch him, we could, but we can't. But just like Tracy shared her story, you all, at least most of you all, have a story of your encounter with Jesus. That's all witnessing is, is sharing with somebody, here's what Jesus did for me. You've heard stories about Jesus. You've heard maybe things, maybe you got some weird ideas about Jesus, but I'm here to tell you firsthand what happened. Let me tell you about what, what I've learned about Jesus in my own life. Here's the funny thing. Nobody can argue with that. They can say, I don't believe you, but they can't prove you wrong. They cannot, they, they, they cannot prove you wrong. They can just choose not to believe you. But as long as you're sharing about what Jesus has done in your life, you are doing exactly what Peter did with Cornelius. So I want to stop here at this point and just say, if you have never publicly acknowledged Jesus as the Son of God who died on the cross to take away the penalty for your sins, today you could do that. I invite you to do that today. The truth is that we're all imperfect sinners. We are all, every one of us here. This church is made for people like you. Every one of us is broken. And every one of us who is a part of this church has had an encounter with Jesus where we receive the forgiveness of our sins. You know, it's been said the church is the one organization that the only requirement for membership is to be totally unworthy of membership. And that's us each one of us me too everybody and so i'm just saying is that just like we would be separated from god for eternity because of our sins we recognize that jesus died on the cross in our place and all you have to do all you have to do is admit and acknowledge that jesus died on the cross for your sins too that's admitting accepting jesus as your savior and then invite him to come into your life 
to help you run your life in the way that would please him to God, in the way that would best for you. It's not like being taken over by a zombie or something like that. It's not that. It's God's Holy Spirit through Jesus dwells within you to help you live the kind of life that pleases God, help you kind of live the kind of life that will help make this world a better place, that will help other people know about Jesus and will help fulfill the mission for which God created you. So here it is. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins on the cross and invite him into your life as Savior and Lord. If you have done that, at the, at the end of our service, after we close, I, I would love for you to talk to me about that. Or if you don't understand it and you want to do that, I would love to share with you how that can happen. And there's other people at our church that could share that with you too. Because it's happened to us, we know it happened to you too. Now we've got one more scene to look at as we close. All right? But if what I said resonates with you about asking Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord, then after the service, talk with one of us. In fact, I'll stay down here at the near the front to meet with you if you want to at that point. So our last scene, scene two of this act, the Spirit confirming everything. It's in verses 44 to 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers that Peter brought with him, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water for baptism and prevent these people from being baptized who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and they asked him to stay for a few days. So Holy Spirit, not just a cameo. He's a key actor in this, in this, in this act. In fact, all through the books of act, book of Acts, so the Holy Spirit comes in just like he did in Samaria because the gospel again has crossed another line. Remember we had the Hellenistic Jews who were, who were Jewish, but just a Greek culture. Then we had the Samaritans who were half Jewish. Then we had the Ethiopian eunuch who could not become Jewish because he was a eunuch. But now you've got for the first time a family that could become Jewish. They could have, tra- they could have become what's called proselytes. They could have transferred and just been totally Jewish at that time. But the church said, the Spirit said, they don't have to become Jewish. This is the first time we've got people that they're not Jewish. They are Gentiles. They did not convert to Judaism. But I'm putting my stamp of approval. And the Holy Spirit showed up in a special way in the book of Acts at times when they jumped a barrier. It was God saying, yes, they've accepted and I accept them just like they are without having to become Jewish. And that's it with our church. We don't make you jump through hoops. God does not make you jump through hoops. Yes, if you've got hang-ups and problems, we want, you to, we want to help you get those fixed, and the Holy Spirit will help you do that. But it's not about getting your life right so that you're okay with God. It's about accepting that your life isn't right, but Jesus made it okay by taking the penalty for your sins. That's what it's all about. And it says, if they believed in the Lord Jesus, how could, how could we possibly stop God? From being a part of that and here's one other in- encouragement i want to have for you today if you've accepted jesus but you've not been baptized that's what these guys did right away they said you know what we're gonna get baptized now baptism does two things one we make it a requirement for actual full membership in our church because we think it's that important 
But the most important part about baptism is it's a symbol where you're telling your friends, your family, your neighbors, your world that Jesus died on the cross for you, yet he came back to life proving he had power over sin, that his promise of forgiveness is real. It also symbolizes that, man, that old person for you that's messed up that life, that was done away with with Jesus. And God has raised you up as a new person. It's a symbol we want to do. We set up a baptistry right over here. We do it so that everybody can see. And we want to make that something you can do. Now, it's not, we're not looking for just numbers and stuff. We want to say, if you've made that decision to accept Jesus, but you haven't been baptized, take that last step to make that public demonstration that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. So as we wrap up here, here's what we want to say. What can you do? First, as we said before, always listen to God's, for God's direction. Let God change your plans and your opinions anytime. It's always the right thing to do if God has a different plan. Second, be willing to get dirty for the mission. For Peter, getting unclean was going and hanging out with Gentiles. I don't know what way God wants you to get dirty, but there's some way he, want, he says you've got to be willing to get dirty to be able to fulfill the mission that I have for you and for your church. Third, talk about Jesus at every opportunity. Always be ready to look for a chance to have a spiritual slash gospel conversation with somebody about Jesus. And third, a fourth and final, and this is important as we get there, be open to whatever the Holy Spirit brings our way. Our church has had some changes. We'll get some new changes to come as a new pastor comes. And uh, we'll go through some changes. We get ready for a new pastor to come. But always be ready to say, Holy Spirit, whatever it is you want me to do, whatever you want our church to do, we are here to see your will done and to see your mission continue through us. Let's pray. Father, again, we are just thankful for the message you've given through Acts. Father, thank you for what you did in Peter's life and in Cornelius' life. And Father, thank you that you still do that in lives today. And so, Father, we pray that today might be the start of somebody's testimony of their encounter with you. Father, just as we get ready to close, we, as a church, yield our lives individually and collectively to your Holy Spirit to do as you desire, Father, for we want your gospel to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and, Father, to everywhere in the world that we can go.